deserve a champion? What does it take to really truly be a champion? When you are in that position and competition shows up, be ready to fight. Be ready to fight. Be ready to fight for your life. Be ready to give it everything you got. Make sure what you are up against understands that you are there to do business. Make sure everything that you believe in stays with you. If you believe that you are a champion, then stand on it. Because that is ultimately what champions are made for. Still feel like that's where the Rocky theme song should start playing and just get you really pumped up to take that next step and start fighting. Uh, good morning, Crossroads. I'm really glad you're here today. Give yourselves a round of applause, you guys. We're here. We're celebrating summer together. This is the best place we could possibly be together. And today we're talking about something really, really important. And I just want to invite you to lean in uh, to what God's going to speak to you today because we're going to end with something very special. Uh, we're going to be receiving communion together. And when we do that, it offers us an opportunity to reflect on what Jesus has done for us. When we take that bread together, we're remembering his body that was broken for us. When we drink the juice, we're remembering his blood which was poured out for us. We, we remember and we, we reflect on the incredible price that Jesus paid so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be set free. And I want you to think about that as we kind of unpack what we're walking through today in the life of David, because I think at the end of the day, we have to stay focused on being tender to the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Today, today is a Sunday that uh, is called Pentecost Sunday, and a lot of people aren't familiar with what that is. It's not one of the more you know, exciting, uh, celebrated Sundays that we celebrate in church history. Uh, everybody gets excited about Christmas, right? We get presents with Christmas. That's fantastic. The birth of Jesus, we celebrate that. We get excited about Easter Sunday. It's Easter eggs, right? And then we celebrate the life that we have in it. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose again Easter Sunday the most important Sunday that we could possibly celebrate. But Pentecost Sunday is one that is really important. It's right up there. What that is celebrating is what happened right after Jesus ascended into heaven. It's, it says that he told his disciples to wait for him in the city and in the upper room is where the Holy Spirit found them. And on Pentecost Sunday, that's when the Holy Spirit came down upon the disciples and they went out into the streets speaking in tongues. And what that means in Acts chapter two is that they quite literally went out into the streets and started proclaiming the good news of Jesus and that no matter who was walking by, no matter what country they were from or what language they spoke, they heard what they were speaking in their own native language. So it gave them the ability to communicate to everyone what Jesus had done. It was an extraordinary moment. And the, the thing about this is that it changes everything because Jesus said to them very specifically, go wait for my spirit, the Holy Spirit to, to come upon you. And what we realize is that changes everything. As, as followers of Christ, when you say yes to Jesus, when you ask him to forgive you, when you ask him to set you free and, and invite him into your life, what you are doing is allowing the Holy Spirit himself to, to live in you. And so that's why in Scripture and all throughout the New Testament, it says, hey, be careful as you live. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit that lives within you. Like, don't allow yourself to be part of things that grieve the heart of God, that, that Holy Spirit that lives in you. It reminds us in Corinthians, remember, your, your body is the temple of God. He lives in you now. Like, this is, this is real. This is, this is important. And, and his voice is there to guide us and convict us and, and to, to keep us on the path that he is calling us to. And 
I say all that and kind of give that overview of what Pentecost Sunday is and that we celebrate that today to remind you that, listen, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, when that still small voice, the voice of God convicts you and challenges you to step out of your comfort zone or to lay down something that has become part of your life that has no business being there, it is really, really important that we respond to that voice with a tender heart. And that's what we're talking about today. We're realizing that the heart of a champion is tender. It, it listens to the voice of God as it speaks to you and into your life. And I just want to encourage you today as we unpack this story of David to make sure that you're thinking about your relationship with God. Ask yourself, is your heart tender to the voice of God? Are you willing to say yes every time Jesus speaks to you? Because I contend with you today, that is how you live the life that you were called to. If every single day you're saying yes to Jesus, that's how you're going to be exactly where God called you to be. That's how you're going to fill your, fulfill your purpose for your life and, and fulfill the plan that God created you for by saying yes to Jesus every time he asks you to do something. And that all stems from this heart that is tender before God. What we see in the life of David is that the a heart of a champion is pure, right? If you want to impress God, impress him by having a pure heart. And we learned in the life of David as he began his journey uh, that that pure heart is rooted in humility. Uh, when, when Samuel was told by God, go anoint uh, one of Jesse's sons, they're gonna be the next king of Israel, I'll tell you who it's gonna be. Jesse had all of his sons line up in front of Samuel. Samuel goes through the line and it's not anyone there. And he's like, hey dude, is this all your sons? And he's like, no, I forgot one, my bad. And, and that's the one. David was not invited to his own party, right? And God told Samuel directly, hey, man looks at outward appearance, I look at the heart. If you want to impress me, make sure that your heart is pure, that's rooted in humility. That's an important lesson for us to all to put into practice in our lives. Make sure your heart is pure. I think the second lesson we learned was David as the lunch boy then, you know, a few years later, taking cheese and, and bread to his older brothers who are fighting the battle against the Philistines. And as David arrives at the camp, bringing all the food, he looks out and everybody's terrified of Goliath, the giant that's challenging them to battle. And while everyone else sees a giant that cannot be beaten, David sees someone who's defying the army of the living God, and his perspective is, who is this guy to defy the army of the living God? He doesn't have a chance. I'll go fight him. And you know how the story goes. He goes out, kills Goliath with one swing of his slingshot, and everything changes for David. And what we learned in that story is that the heart of a champion, it leads the way for others with courage. It, it trusts in God's promises for our lives. It's willing to step out of the comfort zone and, and lead to do the difficult things, not always take the easy way out. We can learn about that and how to put that into practice in our lives from the life of David. Last week we talked about the fact that as David gained fame, as he gained success, as everybody started to love him more than they loved Saul, Saul out of his envy and jealousy of David, recognizing that the favor and blessing of God had left at him and had, had rested on David, he being the next anointed king of Israel, Saul recognized that. And even though David was family, Saul found himself multiple times trying to chase David down and, and kill him. This was the relationship he had with his in-laws. Remember, if you thought your relationship with your in-laws was bad, just look at the story of David and Saul. It, it, it could be worse, okay? I think. If it's worse than that, let's talk. Let's figure that out. Um, but what we realize with David is that, man, the heart of a champion has honor. It's doing the right thing the right way no matter what. And that's what we saw time and time again in David's response to Saul. And so after that all went through, what we see in the book of 1 Samuel is that Sure enough, Saul and, and his son Jonathan, they die in a battle. Now uh, David is anointed the king of Israel and he continues to have success. 
He continues to walk with God and walk in that anointing and in his blessing and in his favor. He has victory in battle. He brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Everything is good. He is walking in the purpose and the plan that God created him for. He is walking in the anointing and in the blessing of God. And yet what we talk about today is just a startling realization that, man, no matter how far you have gotten, you know, in your journey with Jesus, none of us ever arrive. And honestly, I wish that were the case. I, I've told you this before. I wish, like, when it comes to physical exercise, wouldn't it be amazing if you do one sit-up, one crunch, and you have a six-pack for the rest of your life? Wouldn't that be extraordinary? Like, one curl in the biceps of Dwayne Johnson. Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, that'd be awesome, but that's not how it is. You got to keep working out. You got to keep at it. And our journey with Jesus, our relationship with him, is the same way. I really do. I sincerely wish that, you know, as we take steps toward Jesus, I wish there was some kind of numbered system. Like, I've, I've gone from level four to level five today. Ding, 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 ding. You know, coins above your head. Woo! And I have arrived. Yay! And now I just keep moving forward. But the truth of the matter is, if we don't allow our hearts to stay tender to the voice of God, I, I contend with you that the moment we stop saying yes the moment we take the foot off the gas, the moment that we allow ourselves to be distracted, we can regress. We can look back at our lives and realize, you know, I was closer to Jesus a year ago than I am today. I was closer to God 10 years ago than I am today. And if that's the place you find yourself, I want to encourage you to think about, you know, why is that? What is it that I need to refocus on? Is, is my heart tender to the things of God? Because I want it to be true for you that when God speaks to you, Whatever he's challenging you to, to step out of your comfort zone, to lay something down that's in your life that you know shouldn't be there, just let your answer be yes. And when God speaks to you, may your voice, the voice that he speaks to you, come to a, a heart that is tender and, and not resistant to what he is calling you to because, man, that's how you stay exactly where he has called you to be. And I, I think what happens is we fall prey to the tricks of the devil, because, man, the devil is described in 1 Peter 5 as a lion that is on the prowl. And honestly, if you think about that, that is a little terrifying. I saw a preview uh, last weekend for a movie that's coming out. It's about this family in Africa, and there's just some rabid lion that's chasing them down. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one that saw this preview? And I saw this, and I'm going, oh, that's terrifying. I want to see that movie. That looks awesome. Uh, but it's like this whole idea of like this lion that keeps coming after you. Like there's no escape. Like, ah, oh, there's a lion. I don't know. I, that's why I stay in my air-conditioned house. I, I will not go outside. I want that to happen. Um, <laughs> but that's the picture of the devil that's painted for us in Scripture. He's always on the prowl. He's seeking out whom he can devour. He's looking for that weakness. He's looking for that little opening, and he's, he's ready to pounce. Because he wants to destroy you. Make no mistake, a verse I reference all the time, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, no, I've come that you might have life and life to the fullest. And to experience that life, you guys, we have to make sure that our hearts are tender to the things of God. Because the moment we take our foot off the gas, the moment that we put our guard down, that's when the devil attacks. And no one is immune to that. I wish that we were. I wish I've just achieved level five of Christianity. Yes, I'm a level five follower of Jesus. I'll never go back to level. No, I wish that it was that way. You have to keep the foot on the gas. You have to keep saying yes to Jesus. And I hate it when I see our heroes in the Bible who experience this. 
I hate it when, when you see someone who is walking in the anointing, the blessing of God, who, who stumbles and falls. And in the life of David, make no mistake, David, who is known as the man after God's own heart, he fell for the trap and he fell hard. And that's what we're looking at today because how do you respond when you fall? How do you respond when you find yourself having done something that you know wasn't right? How do you pick yourself up? What does that look like? We can learn from the failures of David. We can learn what it looks like to continue having a heart of a champion. It's the heart that is tender. It says in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 11, in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Reba. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. This, that seems like it's not a big deal. But here's the thing. David took himself out of position. David is supposed to be leading the charge. That's where he's always been. He's leading the charge for his army. He's leading the charge for the troops. He's the king. He's the leader. He's right there leading the way for everybody. But what does he do? He decides, ah, I'm going to take this one off. I'm going to send my other guys. They're capable. I'll send them off to battle. And he stays behind. When all the other kings were off to war, when they were doing their work, he stayed home. He put up the, the dummy on the Zoom call and let him think that he was watching the Zoom call. I mean, there it is, right? Some of you are like, oh, yes, I'm guilty of that. I don't know, I don't know how you do that. Photoshop yourself over there, like with a smile, and you're on your Zoom call and nobody knows you're not there. Did you guys do that during COVID? I want to know. I, I see that hand. I see that hand. Okay. <laughs> so David, he's not where he's supposed to be. Doesn't seem like a big deal, but isn't that how it always begins it's that slippery slope. It creates an opening, and then the devil pounces. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, so not only he's not at war, he's also just taking a nap, right? Like, I've earned my vacation. I'm taking a nap this summer. And honestly, like, for real, like, all the teachers in the room, you deserve it. Take the summer off. Take your nap. Let's give it up for our teachers. They're awesome. Let's just do that. Yeah, yeah. You're like, yes, we do. I'm taking a nap. Oh, man. Since David got out of bed, was walking on the roof of the palace, as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, that is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. All of a sudden, this has unraveled really quickly, right? What, what happened to David? The pure in heart, the, the guy who acted with honor, does the right thing the right way no matter what. What happened here? How, how has he gotten to this place where it unravels so quickly? It starts with something that doesn't seem like a big deal. When everybody else went off to war, the kings went and led their troops in the battle, David stayed behind. He relaxed started focusing on how much success he had had and lost sight of what was really going on, got distracted, fell into temptation, and finds himself in a spot that he never thought he would be in. And I think a lot of times it's easy to point the fingers when you see other people fall, and like, oh, that's, that's too bad, but look at what they did, you know. But the reality is, I think we have to ask ourselves, ourselves a question, what does that look like when it's us? Because we've all been there. We've all been in that spot where we realize I did something that I wasn't supposed to. I've sinned. I've fallen short of this, this life that God has called me to. I, I need to make this right. I, I'm not in a right spot. How do you respond when the devil punches you in the face and, and knocks you down? How do you respond? 
Here David finds himself in a spot he never thought he would be in. And there's, there's conflict here. It's a heart that is in trouble. Because this isn't who he is. He's, he's known as the man after God's own heart. He's just committed adultery. Now this, this lady's pregnant. He's got a problem, right? Like, what? oh, how do I solve this? And so David's just trying to get his way out. It says that he calls for Uriah, the Hittite. He's off to battle where he should be. He comes back to talk to Uriah. Hey, Uriah, how's the battle going? Oh, it's going good. It's, we're doing great. That's so good, Uriah. He says, listen, Uriah, you're here in Jerusalem. I know your family lives close by. Go home tonight, spend time with your wife, and then go back tomorrow. Uriah doesn't fall for the trap. He says, no way. My brothers are out in battle. What kind of a person am I in if I take that time off, go home and enjoy my family? No, I'm, I'm staying right here. It says Uriah, Uriah the Hittite slept on the palace steps. He would not go home. And David's going, oh no, this guy's honorable. <laughs> this guy's a really great guy. What am I going to do to get him to go home and cover my tracks here? How do, I, how do I get away with this? And so it says the next day he brings Uriah in. He feeds him. They have a feast. He gets him drunk. says, Uriah, go home to your wife. Uriah in his drunken stupor says, no, I won't do it. I'm staying on the palace step. I mean, what an incredible guy that is. And so David stoops to a new low. He sends a letter to Joab, the general, with Uriah that says, hey, when the battle is thick, send Uriah to the front of the line and pull the troops back. And, and he knows he's sending him to a death sentence. He's, he's going to get this guy killed in war. So David goes from being the man with the pure heart, the man who works with honor, does the right thing the right way no matter what, to covering his tracks and just spiraling out of control, committing adultery, getting caught, trying to fix it, and leading to murder. I mean, this is not how the man after God's own heart is supposed to act, right? And there's conflict here because he's done something that he knows isn't right. His heart's a mess. And what that does, it sets up the moment of confrontation. And this is difficult. Those moments of confrontation where you are confronted with something that you have done wrong. And guys, make no mistake, this is where the, the importance of a tender heart matters. When you step out of line, when you do something that you know is not right, and the Holy Spirit convicts you, man, you've got to be able, ready, and willing to listen to that still small voice. Because while the devil is the accuser, while he is the liar, while he is condemning you, while he's saying, look at what you've done, there is no coming back from this. There is no way that God could ever love you again, that you could ever be his child or have success. No, you're done. While the devil is throwing lies at you and condemning you, that comes from a place of guilt and shame, right? The Holy Spirit is convicting you, and that comes from a place of grace. He's convicting you so that you'll get back on the right track and be able to experience the life to the fullest again. That, that's the grace that goes before us. That's the extravagant love that God has for us. Think about that, that while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, Jesus came and paid that price that we couldn't pay. He sacrificed everything. He laid down his life so that we could experience forgiveness, so that we could be set free. How amazing is that? And so when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, convicts us, know this, the Holy Spirit is trying to bring you back into that place where you have fellowship with God. If you're listening to the voice that is condemning you and telling you you're worthless and you'll never be able to come back, listen, you're listening to the wrong voice. That's the voice of the devil. He's the accuser. He's the father of lies. And from the very beginning, that's his game. What happens when Adam and Eve 
They break the only rule in the Garden of Eden. I mean, guys, you had one job, one job. All the trees you can eat from, but don't eat from this one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Stay away from that one. So what happens? The devil tells him, did God really say, you know, he just doesn't want you to eat from this tree because he doesn't want you to be as smart as him. Come on, you guys should eat this fruit. They eat from the fruit. And then what happens? Everything is broken. Man, God created the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. It was perfect. When God made creation, it says he stepped back in Genesis and said, this is good. Everything that I've created is good. There was no sickness. There was no pain. There was no death. None of that existed. All of that began when sin entered into the world, when we decided to do things our own way, right? We broke those rules that God gave us. And so what had been an intimate relationship with God, you see this picture in Genesis of God himself coming into the garden, spending time walking and talking with Adam and Eve. It's just intimate friendship and fellowship. There's a close relationship there. All of a sudden, because of the sin, they eat from the fruit. What happens? Well, now they're running away in shame and guilt and, and condemnation. Now they're hiding in the bushes afraid and naked because they don't think that they can have this fellowship with God. And so what you see is God shows up at the garden. He knows what's happened. God still shows up. Adam, Eve, where are you? Like literally they're like, hey God, we're over here. We're hiding in the bushes. We're naked and afraid. Why are you in the bushes? We ate the fruit that you told us not to. We're guilty. I mean, they sit there condemned. But that didn't come from God. That actually came from the devil. You're worthless. God doesn't love you. He doesn't want to be with you. Go hide in the bushes. And what's beautiful about the Holy Spirit is that he convicts us. He draws us close to him. And man, that doesn't make all the consequences of the decisions that we make go away. No, we have to go through those sometimes. But you can be restored. You can recover. I'm so glad we're at a church. We have crossroads recovery. You can have victory over your hurts, habits, and hangups. Is anybody excited about that? You can be restored. You can experience full recovery. That's what God does for us. But you guys, we have to be willing to listen to that still small voice. We have to make sure that our hearts are tender to the things of God. And if we find ourselves in a place where we never thought we would be, when we are confronted with our sin, when we are con confronted with our failure, how we respond matters. And that heart that is tender to God, we see that in David in the confrontation because here's where a heart is threatened. You know, all your deepest, darkest secrets are getting revealed and that's what happens to David. He thinks he might have gotten away with this because Uriah's dead and then God sends his prophet Nathan. It says, the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter, which is kind of weird, but let's just go with the story. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his feast. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. That's interesting. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Oh, oh. He did not see that twist in the story. 
And interestingly enough, as David responds to that, what does he say? Well, someone who did that deserves to die. I mean, David's citing his own death sentence there, right? You are that man. That's what David's realizing in his own words, like, oh man, I deserve the ultimate punishment for what I have done. And that brings him to a really important moment. Because how you, are, how you respond when you are confronted, that's what makes all the difference in the world. Are you going to try to hold on to what you've been doing? Are you going to try to rationalize and justify the things in your life that no shouldn't be there? Or are you going to immediately say, God, I'm sorry. Confess that you are wrong and, and, and turn away from that. Put that behind you. How you respond in that moment when God speaks to you, when his Holy Spirit convicts you, that's what changes everything. And what we see about a heart that is tender is that there is confession. And confession is good for the soul. Confession is what leads us to that place where God longs for us to be. It's not holding on to that. It's when you are confronted with what you have done that is wrong. Instead of fighting for what you think is right or fighting for your cause to be justified and rationalize what you've done, if in that moment you confess, if you turn to Jesus, if you ask for forgiveness and turn away from that, that's the most important response in that moment that you could ever have. That's, that's a heart that is tender. And that's what we see in the life of David. It says, then David confessed to Nathan immediately, I have sinned against the Lord. And this begins this whole journey of him doing everything he can to make this right. And what you see is that even though a heart of a champion is not perfect, a heart of a champion is tender. And I think it's important for us to all recognize, man, it's easy to throw stones at David and say, well, look at what he did. That's terrible. Yeah, he deserves to die. Nathan says, you are that man, David. The reality is, when Jesus came and suffered and died, he didn't just do that for David. He didn't do that for other people. You guys, he did that for me. He did that for you. I mean, honestly, that's Nathan looking at all of us and saying, you are that man. You are that, you are that woman. That, that's you. Every single one of us needs that mercy and that grace of Jesus. And it's so important that we're willing to approach our relationship with God with that tender heart so that when his voice speaks to us, when his Holy Spirit moves in our hearts, guides us and convicts us to get things right, that we respond to that voice with a tender heart by saying yes to Jesus. God, whatever it is that you're asking me to do, stepping out of my comfort zone, the answer is yes. God, whatever you're revealing in my life that, that needs to be made right and I need to let go of God, the answer is yes. It's so incredibly important. And it's so incredibly important that we listen to the right voice. Remember, the devil's on the prowl. He's like a lion doing everything he can to accuse you and, and slander you and lie to you and tell you that you're not good enough, that you'll never make it, that God could never love you. That's the voice of condemnation. Again, condemnation comes from that place of guilt. The conviction of the Holy Spirit comes from a, a place of grace. When you are condemned by the devil, that leads you to conceal your sin, right? Like I'm hiding in shame. I'm hiding in the bushes. Like we're over here, God. That's what condemnation does. But conviction, it leads you to confession. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, this isn't right. Make this right. I confess that sin. And guys, he is faithful. He is just. He will forgive us and cleanse us from all of that unrighteousness in our lives. That's the God that we serve. You're not done you're not, it's not over. There is hope. And I want you to, to make sure today you're listening to the right voice. Because, man, when you're listening to that voice of, of condemnation, it results in remorse, right? I feel bad about what I've done. I feel insecure about how God's going to see me. But when you're listening to that voice of conviction, 
the voice of the Holy Spirit, where it leads you is to a place of repentance. That's where I confess that what I've done is wrong and I I turn away from it. That's not who I'm going to be. Listen, I don't want to be that person. God, I can't be that person. I'm putting that old life, those old ways behind me, and I'm saying yes to you. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit, working in our lives, guiding us, directing us, showing us where to go. Make sure that your heart is tender to that voice of God. We have to get that right. We have to get that right. I want to ask you today, is your heart tender to the things of God? When he speaks, are you listening? And how about this? Are you listening to the right voice? Because when you mess up, what's that voice that you're listening to? Is that voice that says you're not good enough, you'll never be right, God could never love you, you're done, you're a failure, quit? That's not the voice of God. That's the voice of the devil trying to condemn you and accuse you. The voice of God is convicting you, drawing you to him so you can come to that place of repentance, make things right, and walk in his joy, walk in his freedom, walk in his hope. That, that's the God who's paid the ultimate price so that we could be forgiven and set free. What's, what's incredible about this is that in Psalm 51, we actually see the writings of David as he has gone through this process. And we see it's kind of like his journal, right, of how he responds to his relationship with God. And it's, it's sobering. But man, I think we've all been there. In Psalm 51, 10 through 12, you see this cry of David's heart. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Help me get rid of all this filth and this shame and this guilt. God, this is not where I want to be. This is not who I am. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Think about that from David's perspective. He saw the blessing and the anointing of God taken away from Saul for disobedience. He's pleading, God, God, I'm so sorry. This is not who I am. This is not who I want to be. Create in me a clean heart. Renew that loyal spirit. Don't take your spirit from me. That's what I long for more than anything. And then he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Help me to walk in the joy of knowing who I am and help me to put all this other stuff behind me. God, I will obey you. Guys, that's the heart that God's looking for. The heart that says yes. Yes, God, I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone and follow you. God, yes, I'm willing to lay this stuff down that shouldn't be in my life and and turn away from that. And so if you have a heart that's tender to Jesus, it's just a heart that's saying yes. And as we close today, I just want to encourage you, man, make sure that you have a heart that is tender to the things of God. We're about to receive communion together. And as we do that, I want you to know that this is a beautiful and sacred moment. Communion is that sacred sacrament of the church that allows us from time to time to reflect on and remember the price that Jesus paid so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be set free. It's a reminder that while we were enemies, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. That's the grace that goes before us. And that when we say yes to him, We experience that forgiveness. We experience that debt that's been paid, a debt that we couldn't pay ourselves. And so as we close today, and as we prepare to to receive communion together, I want to make sure that everyone here has had a chance to say yes to Jesus. Because when we receive communion, that's open for all believers. Everyone who's put their trust in Jesus, you are welcome to receive communion today. I want to make sure that we all have the opportunity to make sure that we have said yes to Jesus, that we can be forgiven, that we can be set free. And so before we prepare to receive communion, I would just invite you to stand with me in this moment. Can we all stand together? And if you're here today and you have never said yes to Jesus and you're saying, 
God's speaking to me. I, my heart's racing and I know that I'm supposed to respond in this moment. I promise you that if you're willing to say yes in this moment, to ask God to come into your life and forgive you, that he will do just that. That you will experience the hope and the joy you've been searching for and that everything will change when you ask Jesus to come into your life. And so would you join us all as we say this prayer together, as we close this service together. Jesus, I need you. I believe you are the savior of the world, that you gave your life to forgive my sins, and that God raised you from the grave so that I could have eternal life. Thank you for loving me. I am saying yes to you, Jesus. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. And can we give him the praise and glory today because he loves us with an extravagant love. I want to encourage you today as we prepare to receive communion. If, if you said yes to Jesus for the very first time, I, I want you to know we want to celebrate that with you. Uh, Pastor Keith is up here. He would love to talk with you. We have a Bible to give you. We want to help you take the next steps and celebrate what God has done. One, one of my favorite services is coming up in a couple weeks, Father's Day. We're celebrating changed lives through baptism, and I cannot wait to celebrate. We already have a bunch of people signed up. Listen, if you haven't been baptized, sign up to be baptized on Father's Day because we want to celebrate what God has done in your life. But today in this moment, we embrace what he's done for us. And we're gonna to respond today by receiving communion together and coming forward to receive the elements. What we're gonna do is while we sing this song together, I just want you to be invited to come forward to, to take the cups. They're stacked on top of each other. The bread is on the bottom, the juice is on the top. And as you come forward to receive these elements, I just encourage you to think about the love that God has for you, the price that he's paid for you, and just to make sure that your heart is tender to his voice today. Communion is an amazing opportunity to make sure that your relationship with Jesus is up to date. That there's no barrier in your life that is coming between you and your relationship with him. And so I challenge you, as I invite you in just a moment to come forward and receive these elements, take this opportunity to draw close to Jesus and make sure your relationship with him is up to date. As we come forward during this song, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna invite you to exit to your left. Everybody hold up your left hand. It's the one that makes an L, thumb in the pointer, L. Exit the section that you're into the left. Come receive the elements and come back in on the right. That'll help ease the chaos of the moment. But uh, let's lean into who Jesus is, what he's done for us. After you receive the elements, get back to your seats. We'll take a pause in this song and receive communion together. Before we do that, let's pray. God, you're good. We thank you for your very many blessings. We thank you for the extravagant love that you have for us. And God, I just ask that you would help us to keep our hearts tender to your voice. That when you speak to us, that when you call us to lay things down in our life that have no business in our lives, that we wouldn't hold on to it. God, that we would confess it, that we would say yes to you. As you challenge us to step out of our comfort zone and to take steps of faith, God, may our answer be yes. Don't allow us to harden our hearts to you, God. Help us to stay tender, to let you guide us and direct us where you want us to go. And so, Jesus, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask you to meet us here in this special time as we receive communion together. We pray this in your name. Amen.